All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is uh, the 8th day of February 2023. My guests today are Alistair McLeod, the head of the Gold Money Research Team uh, at goldmoney.com, and Ewan Downing. He is the CEO of I-80 Gold Corp. It's an up-and-coming company, uh, really uh, the second largest gold reserve or resource in Nevada, and I think you're going to hear a lot more about uh, I-80. So uh, Ewan will be with me in the second segment of today's show, but right now I'm happy to tell you that Alistair McLeod is with me. I've titled today's show, The Truth About Russia's Golden Ruble and the Dollar's Demise. And that was named after Alistair's recent article, actually January 26th article. And, and uh, it was titled, Russia's Intentions Are Clarifying. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, that's very much my, my pleasure, Jay. You know, uh, we hear on the news here all the time about how we're sending billions upon billions of dollars uh, over there to uh, to the Ukraine to help beat the hell out of the bad guys, the Russians. Uh, we're told that it's going it's going pretty well, you know, not only on the battlefield but also financially. That uh, Vladimir Putin and that country is going to be, uh, if not bombed into the Stone Age, certainly headed in that direction economically. Uh, what what is your read of the situation over there across the pond? Maybe you have a little different view of things than we do here in America. Well, um, I mean, I think one thing that is true of all governments is that they bombard us with propaganda. That's true of the Russians. It's true of your government. It's true of my government as well, because they want their narrative to get over. Um, so I'm less concerned with the government narratives. What I try to do as much as possible is is uh, source independent information and read hard information when it's available. And uh, when it comes to um, the war in Ukraine, um, we are definitely moving towards a new phase in the war. This has been building up. Uh, there's been a huge, great argument about um making tanks available to the Ukraines. There was this whole thing about um, Germany uh, refusing to uh, let um, tanks, Leopard Leopard 2 tanks, be shipped into the Ukraine under license and indeed for them to provide it. Eventually they caved in. Um, the tanks should be arriving later this month and into March. So you can see that the preparation there for an acceleration of the conflict. And the other thing we need to tie into this was that um, it's around about this time of the year that the ground is uh, frozen enough to take tank warfare without tanks being bogged down. Yeah. And this was this was um, uh, this was Putin's timing last year. He commenced the um, uh, the invasion of um, Ukraine. I think it was on the 28th of February. So, you know, we're coming up to that time. Um. We need to, um, I think, step back from this and not sort of think, well, you know, in terms of who's going to win this and all the rest of it. Um, I think as far as we're concerned in financial markets, um, we're looking at uh, the effect on commodity prices and particularly energy prices of a resumption, if you like, of the conflict over and above what is already happening. Uh, what happened last year was that as, you know, the, the subject which at gold money, we're obviously primarily interested in the price of gold rose i think from something like 1800 to 2070 uh that was from around about the sort of mid february to um i think around about the 7th or 8th of march when it peaked could we have the same sort of thing happening here well and we look at um 
the price of oil it that shot up to 120 bucks and so you can see that this sort of thing is likely to drive a new phase of commodity price rises i don't think anyone in the markets is really thinking this one through at the moment i mean today we've got for example uh, we have got uh, Jay Powell is meant to be saying something, I think, literally, as this is being recorded. We all hang on his words. Yeah. But actually, the more important thing is what the hell is going to happen in Ukraine in a couple of weeks time. So you can see how, you know, our focus, I think, is being diverted from what really matters. Um, I hope I'm wrong about that, but I, I can't see that um, this is not going to escalate. I think it is going to escalate and we will see. A resumption, if you like, in uh, the increase in commodity prices. Um, And the commodity prices are always um, accommodated by us in the West, by the central banks, ensuring that there is sufficient credit available for us to pay the higher prices. Right. That is what is, you know, inflation is, in fact, a monetary phenomenon rather than um, a price phenomenon. So the price is the evidence, if you like. Um, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, which I don't think anyone is focusing on, is and uh, this is more to your point, I think, the, um, the plans that the Russians have for um, divorcing themselves even more from our fiat currency system. Now, way back uh, earlier last year, I think it was around about sort of March, uh, April. A guy called Sergei Glazyev, who's one of the senior economic advisors in, uh, to President Putin, um, uh, started talking about a new trade settlement currency for the Eurasian Economic Union. Mm-hmm. Eurasian Economic Union is Russia, Belarusia, um, and the various stands, if you like. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I must apologize. I've got a bit of a bad throat. Um, I feel for you. Thank you. I've been through it. I know what it's like, Alistair. (laughs) Anyway, um, he was talking about this new currency being a a sort of a mixture of uh, the currencies of the countries involved in the Eurasian Economic Union and the commodities that they deal in um, and maybe some gold, something like that. It was all a bit airy-fairy. And that is now solidified and so much so that uh, Glaziev has now uh, obviously decided that gold has got to be central to this currency. So what we're going to see is a trade settlement currency, which is effectively based on gold. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. Now, um, this is very, very interesting. And I think the politics behind this is that one of the things that... um, uh, the sort of, if you like, the, the um, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is jointly run by Russia and China, they've managed to attract uh, the Middle Eastern oil producers into that fold. Some of them are, you know, joining as associate members or dialogue partners or whatever it is. All that's happening, including Saudi Arabia. Right. But the reason that they're doing this, I think, is is twofold. Firstly, we turn around to the Middle East and say, in 10 years' time, we're not going to want your fossil fuels. So tough. Now, that's not a very positive message to give to people who um, we really do rely on to try and keep things going, if you like, in the way in which we want. I mean, this was the foundation of the petrodollar. So what's happening? They're turning towards Asia. First of all, we see the Qataris having a 27-year contract to supply natural gas to China. Mm-hmm. Then we see President Xi being welcomed into Saudi Arabia. Mm. Yes. And Saudis saying we're prepared to accept other currencies, by which they mean um, trade settlement currencies in, 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 in Asia. So how is this going to work? Well, in order to attract Saudi Arabia into um, turning their back on the petrodollar, it's absolutely obvious They've got to have a better currency to to attract them. So the currency basically will be some sort of gold substitute, either that or they will settle balances in gold. Mm -hmm. We've yet to see what this is going to, you know, how this is going to pan out. Mm -hmm. But um, sorry, excuse me. 
But in a, um, a message um, which Glaziev, uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, he wrote an article in, in uh, a Moscow business newspaper, which clearly laid out his thinking. And yes, it's gold, gold, gold. Mm-hmm. I could have written it for him. You know, I mean, he was echoing my thoughts, which are, which we've discussed over over the years. So it's happening. And I think this is desperately important. So the idea that this conflict in Ukraine is the West's chance to really, um, uh, if you like, defeat Putin for once and for all. Forget it. The real battle is going to be over currencies. Now, the moment that um, the plans for a gold-linked trade settlement currency, which is bound to be extended into other currencies in that Shanghai Cooperation Union, principally the ruble and also the, the yuan, um, the dollar's dead. Says the euro, says the, says the pound. I mean, it is actually as simple as that. I mean, d- don't forget that uh, there is huge, huge foreign ownership of the dollar. Those foreigners are going to turn sellers the moment there is a better alternative. What's mm-hmm. that going to do to the dollar? I mean, it's, but it's not, it's not the dollar against the euro. It's not the dollar's trade weighted we're talking about. It's the dollar versus golden commodities. And I think this is a point which nobody really fully grasps. The real war between um, us, if you like, the Western alliance and uh, the Asian uh, hegemons is actually turning out to be financial. Ukraine's a sideshow. I'm sorry that um, uh, it's such an awful thing for the Ukrainians, (laughs) but... That's the way it is. And I think that's the background, really, to what we're going to see in 2023. All right. Well, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, wishing these things to happen. I think you you pointed out, uh, I mean, maybe what are some of the reasons why the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and others are interested in exiting the dollar? Do they see the handwriting on the do- on the wall in terms of the dollar's future? Are they concerned about the dollar, which is losing its value? Gold, as you, you pointed out in a chart in your, uh, in, in a recent letter in which you showed the price of oil and gold compared to about four or five other currencies. And I mean, oil hasn't gone up uh, at all. It hasn't increased in price relative to gold. Uh, I could understand why the Saudis may be happy to have gold replace the dollar for the sale of their, uh, of, of their, um, of their oil. Uh, but what um, I guess what I'm getting at is what are the are the mechanisms in place now to to actually make this happen? I think the motive is there. Uh, you know, as you say, the United States uh, is, is giving a signal that we don't want to buy hydro, hydrocarbons. We don't want to, you know, fossil fuels are, the, are, 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 you know, passed. That's certainly not happening in China and, and India and places like that. Those are countries that I understand are actually getting their oil pretty cheaply now. Buying it from Russia. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Um, uh, and it's, it's sort of turned everything sort of upside down as far as we're concerned, because while we're turning our backs on um, Russian oil and, and, and gas, um, of course, the uh, Asian countries, and particularly uh, India, are benefiting from substantial discounts. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm very sorry about this. That's quite all right. Anyway. So they're getting substantial discounts. And as Glaziev said in his, um, uh, his, his piece for this Russian business newspaper, you know, the new Glencores, um, and, uh, Trapagura are going to be China and India. They're the people who are now controlling, uh, things like, uh, you know, diesel production and petroleum and all the rest of it coming out of discounted Russian oil. Uh, it, it's, um, it's a fascinating turnaround. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think the other way you need to look at it is that, I mean, their long term plans in Asia basically are to industrialize the whole of Asia and to create an industrial revolution for roughly 3.8 billion people. And the benefits will also extend to the countries which align themselves mm-hmm. with that enormous, enormous project, um, okay. including the whole of Africa um, and Look, look what's going on in, 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 in South America. I know people have been laughing at this idea that the Brazilians and the Argentinians are going to get together to create a new currency. 
you know, because given their track record with currencies, you you know, I mean, it's a laugh a minute. Yeah. But understand why they're doing it. The reason they're doing it is they do need to produce a harder currency in order to trade with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do. And they will probably back their new currency with gold. They won't offer it to their citizens. Oh, no. You know, citizens, uh, you know, gold is our business, not yours. You can still have the depreciating paper. But you, you see where this is this is going to go. Yeah. And, I mean, what we're looking at in terms of the global population is the Western Alliance is roughly 1.2 billion people. We're talking mm-hmm. about... You know, the NATO, America, NATO, Five Eyes, throw in Japan and, you know, some of the, uh, you know, sort of Southeast Asia, whose um, alliance to us actually is very, very questionable. But, you know, yeah. Um, so we've got about one point two um, billion people and, you know, the rest of the world, um, you've got three point eight billion um Asians already in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. You've got another billion in Africa, so that's four point eight. And you've probably got another, I don't know, thick end of a billion uh elsewhere, like Latin America and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, and we sort of carry on as if, you know, we are the world. We're not. No. no. You know, and 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 the point the the point as to you know about currencies is that quite clearly it's not in um, Russia and China's interest to use the dollar, which is weaponized against them. Right. They right. want to get out from that. Yeah. Now, so far, I mean, this has been a long running story. So far, they have not taken any proactive steps to get away from the dollar. That is the thing that's changing. So instead of, say, Putin and Xi watching the Americans and the West quietly tie themselves in knots over the currency issue, they are now in a situation where they need to divorce themselves from a collapsing currency regime. And this is why they are now going on to, if you like, the front foot. Um, they're being more aggressive and proactive in terms of creating their own currency environment. Right. I think you indicated in uh, in your recent one of your recent letters that this acceleration of the Ukraine war probably will prompt Putin and the Chinese to be more aggressive in this in this move away from the dollar towards uh, towards gold I believe you said right you you think yeah. that's probably likely to happen yes yeah, so that's that that is that is definitely the big change that we have seen in 2022 with uh, Glaziev being appointed uh, to head up this new um Eurasian Economic Union currency committee um and that has evolved now. I mean, he's become so much more involved in Russia's gold as well. He was the leading light behind coordinating this project, the new um, Moscow gold exchange, mm-hmm. uh, allegedly to replace um, uh, the London um, Bullion Market Association, which basically has banned anything Russian, um, as <laughs> yeah. they were bound to do. Um uh, so this was officially that was, if you like, a response to that. But hold on a minute. You know, this is the man designing this new currency. He's heading up this. Um, he's, you know, spearheading this move to uh, create this new Moscow exchange. You know, there are too many coincidences in this, I think. OK, we haven't had an announcement as to what this currency is yet, but we can see which way this is going. And we no. don't need to rely on propaganda, <laughs> Russian or otherwise, to um, to work it out. So Russia, Moscow's got a gold exchange. Uh, I think in Shanghai, they have a futures exchange for oil. They've got a futures exchange, I believe, for gold as well. Uh, and, you know, I think you explained in one of your, your letters that what Saudi Arabia can do is sell their oil to China for yuan and then instantly take yep. the yuan and, and trade it in for gold. Is that is that kind of what's in place? Those those mechanisms are in place now. And for for trading outside of the Swiss Swift system too that the United States has basically blocked Russia from trading in, do I have that right? Yes, you have. Um, but I think there is another aspect to this, and that is that um, there is a difference between um, you know trade deficits and surpluses and balance of payments. Now, undoubtedly. Um, uh, the oil revenues that Saudi Arabia will get from China are going to be very substantial. 
But that is going to be balanced, um, you know, not by China or whatever coming up with gold or gold substitutes for the for the Saudis so much. Uh, is going to be balanced by inward investment by China into Saudi Arabia. And so this is the way in which the whole thing is going to work. You know, these uh, imbalances in trade are going to be evened out by capital flows. That is the way they're working it. Mm-hmm. And so um, what you're then looking at is really relatively uh, minor amounts which have to be settled on balance. And... um you know, so long as uh, people like the Saudis are, um, you know, sort of confident that, let's say, out of a dollar equivalent of around about 60, 60 billion, 70 billion trade with China, um, mm-hmm. oil going to China, the inward investment will probably be cover everything but a margin of maybe a couple of billion. Mm-hmm. And they'd probably be quite happy to take a couple of billion in 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 um, in Yuan. But of course, to encourage them to do this, you need to have, um, you need to be able to say to the Saudis, look, you know, the yuan you're going to get is going to be no worse than the dollars you, you, you know, you, you've been taking. Um, <laughs> that is the minimum. That is the minimum, uh, argument that they can produce. And this is why I think they're, they're, they recognize they've got to get away from this fiat uh, currency situation. And, and Glaziev said as much too. Yeah, and certainly, you know, just looking at the United States right now with its uh, enormous deficit that's growing with higher interest rates, uh, I think it was John Hathaway that was wondering recently in an interview, how high do interest rates have to go to clear the market so the Fed doesn't have to monetize? Well, my gosh, it can't go anywhere much higher than it is now before things break down, probably. So I think they're seeing the handwriting on the wall, the uh, the Russians, the, the rest of the world, the, the Chinese yeah. for sure. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, to me, how soon do you think this is going to happen? Um, you know, I had one of the, one of the dollar milkshake theory, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the idea that, uh, that, you know, whenever the world goes into some kind of a major problem, uh, the dollar gets stronger and money flows into the United States. And that's a counter, a sort of counter argument to what you're making in terms of, you know, the dollar losing its value. It seems to me that both of you could be right. It's just that at some point in time, uh, something's going to give and the dollar is going to, is going, is going to give. It may be the last one to go, uh, within the alliances, uh, you know, within the major currencies. But eventually it seems to me that the, uh, that the dollar is going to crash. But the question I have for you then is, what is the timing on this, Alistair? Well, um, the, the, the timing I think is probably not too far away because of the Ukrainian situation. I mean, there's no doubt that we're, you know, within a month, um, you know, possibly six weeks at the outside, you know, the tanks are going to be rolling against each other. And, you know, the, our newspaper headlines are going to be filled with all the drama that we saw exactly this time last year. And uh, the effect on commodity prices, the gold price and all the rest of it, I think, is rather predictable. Now, under those circumstances, you can see that. It would be the moment, as far as Putin is concerned, to maybe um, open the attack, if you like, on the financial on the financial front. So um, I would expect part of his um, whole armory is to undermine uh, the West's ability to pay for Mm -hmm. this Ukrainian um, war. Mm -hmm. And. He's he's got to be careful how he does it. I mean, there's there's so many people shouting about you know well, this is good. this could escalate into a nuclear conflict and all the rest of it. I mean, you've got some some real Doctor Strange love types. It seems to me, you know, in in uh, uh, you know the Pentagon or Washington or whatever. But um, <laughs> you know, I think uh, it seems to me that they are so blinkered that actually. Um, you know, perhaps Putin could open uh, the war on the financial front and catch them all by surprise. Yes. I mean, they shouldn't be caught by surprise. It's so damned obvious. But, yeah. um, you know, I, it, it just seems to me and also, um, you know, people who are closer to the, uh, if you like, the, the, the intelligence establishment, people like Pe- Pepe Escobar, for example, who writes about this all the time. Yes. I mean, he knows he's, you know, for the last 30, 40 years, he's known people in the Pentagon and, you know, a lot of them are retired, but he gets the feel that these guys haven't got a clue what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that is actually rather worrying. 
But um, Putin can use this. He, he can use this because if they don't expect an attack on the financial front, then, um, you know, what an opportunity for him. So I think, you know, as to your question, which I've answered in a rather long-winded way, timing, I think let's see what happens with this uh, new escalation, which is yeah. now on the cards. I think that might might hold the key to it. Well, there's certainly no doubt that the sanctions, uh, the war in Ukraine, and, and our response to that war <laughs> and an, uh, an unwillingness to find a solution with uh, with Russia, to find a peaceful solution, uh, and then and then forcing really uh, Russia to do what they, it's had to do for its own survival, for its own, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. we, we weaponized the dollar, as you say, and, that, and he really doesn't have, he doesn't see much choice if he's going to defend his country. I mean, are you worried at all about nuclear war? I mean, is this just so awful that you just put it out? Of well, <laughs> it doesn't really matter if we have nuclear war because it's all over or how it, because it, it seems to me a very real possibility, as you say, our mm-hmm. people, our intelligence guys can't seem to fathom the idea that the dollar could ever be destroyed. We yeah. have these wonderful, you know, these, these awesome weapons that can go around basically forcing people to do what we want them to do. And, or so it seems. And so, and they, and they've been told that your great economist over there, John Maynard Keynes, who put in the brains of everybody in the West that gold is a barbaric <laughs> relic and there's no need for it ever to be used again as a monetary uh, metal. So, I mean, this is the indoctrination, isn't it? And this is why would these guys think? I mean, all these great PhDs out of the most prestigious schools haven't a clue about gold. They don't understand, but they don't really look at the real world and how and how people think yeah. and, and conduct business, do they? I think as, as, as to your point um, about Keynes, I think it's a very good one because, uh, of course, the Russians were sealed off. <laughs> Sorry. They were sealed off from this Keynesian revolution. As far as they're concerned, um, you know, they've got, okay, Marxian economics, um, but, uh, you know, they never really bought into the idea that gold wasn't money. Uh-huh. So, so you've got this, this, um, interesting situation. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But, um, I think, I, I think, um, uh, I mean, the information I have suggests that there would be a potential settlement and there have been attempts to try and get, you know, sort of try and start negotiations, which haven't really got anywhere. Um, there would possibly be a, a settlement from the American side. Um, if it was just a question of Russia and China, they could probably stomach that, but the problem is Germany. Yeah. NATO was created in the words of Lord Ismay, who was the first, um, you know, chairman of NATO or whatever. Um, you know, the, the purpose of NATO basically is to keep the Americans in, keep the Russians out and keep the Germans down. <laughs> and so you can see that, uh, you know, and that's still the situation because, I mean, you know, the rest of us, well, with few exceptions, are basically now financially based economies or service based economies. We don't make anything anymore. No, we give uh, it off to someone else. That's right. Germany still manufactures. Its natural economic home actually is part of the whole Asian continent, particularly since it's rapidly industrializing. The economic opportunities for German business are massive. Absolutely massive. They're already aligned with what's going on. They can provide high quality equipment and everything else for that industrial revolution. Yet we're keeping them down. Mm. And America in particular, I think, is worried that if it lets China and Russia, um, you know, sort of do its thing, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, then that is where Germany is naturally going to go. And they do not want that because then the whole of the Eurasian continent from Vladivostok all the way to, um, you know, Cape Trafalgar in Spain is basically right. going to be run by them. And, right. and this is something that, that is in the no-no list as far as Washington is concerned or as the Pentagon is concerned. Right. And, and China has, of course, uh, you know, built up these massive, uh, savings from of, of foreign currencies by its uh, net exports or as we were on the opposite yeah. side of that trade and they've been able to take that capital that they've earned through producing things <laughs> and selling it to the rest of the world and then using that to build this one brick one road 
infrastructure that is just amazing. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, we're, we're spending all our money and borrowing money to build weapons to try to force people. I think it's, you know, it's obviously empires run their course. Uh, who knows? I don't, as an American, I don't want to see it happen. But what happens is, is beyond our control. So we have to prepare as best we can, Alistair. So maybe in summary, can you just give, you know, give a little advice as to what people should be doing? I mean, if the dollar goes down, if, if what, what, I guess one question I want to ask you, what's the impact? What's the impact going to be uh, in terms of America's markets uh, and our standard of living in the West, uh, you know, the NATO alliances? What, what's going to happen yeah. to us? Well, the, the, the evidence of this will be in rising prices. Um, you'll see, first of all, commodity prices rising. You will see prices of goods in America rising. You will be going into um, an economic slump while prices continue to rise. I mean, this idea that, um, you know, only consumers, uh, when you get a slump, it's because consumer demand goes down and the result is that goods become cheaper. That's nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know, consumers are producers. Right. So, you know, it's not what happens is that, you know, when you get a reduction in consumption, it's because people are being thrown out of work. Why? Because production is going down. So right. you can see that, you know, this this is Say's law. And this is the one thing that Keynes dismissed to make his argument sound reasonable. Yeah. Say's law says we produce to consume. So if we're not consuming, why is it? It is because we're not producing. The right. two things go hand in hand. Right. So you're going to see, um, uh, you know, rising prices, spiraling prices, foreigners selling the dollar. Aren't they stupid? Why should they sell the dollar? And people in America will not realize that what's happening is their currency is collapsing. And then they wake up late. They wake up far too late in the process. And then they just try and get rid of every bit of liquidity they can for goods. That's the crack up boom. But it always happens this way, uh, Jay. Yeah. The first yeah. thing is the foreigners get out of your currency. Yeah. Before the domestic, you know, the domestic users suddenly sort of wake up and think, hold on a minute. This is not good. We have been sold a pup by our government. Um, the currency is going down. Um, this is disastrous. Um, what do we do? There's only one thing we can do, and that's just get out of the currency. And that's, that is always, you know, it's foreigners get out first, then, you know, the dawning realization hits people. And, you know, I, I see the commentary coming out of America. I, very, very few Americans seem to uh, understand that the foreigners aren't going to always buy the dollar. Right. Not only that, they don't seem to understand that the foreigners are already up to their necks in dollars. Mm -hmm. The financial assets, you just look at the US Treasury tick vigors. 30 trillion, it's already fallen from 34 trillion financial assets and bank balances. Um, 30, 30 trillion now. Um, a lot of the fall has been portfolio effect. And a lot of the fall from here will also be portfolio effect. But, you know, uh, if, if you go back to the um, international uh, forum in, in St. Petersburg, Putin stood up and told um, 81 official government delegations. So we're talking about 81 different nations. The dollar is toast. And he said, why? And everybody understood why. They're all primed to sell. It's almost as if Putin can turn around and say, right, now's the time to sell. And that, I think, is a very important point. He's got more power over the dollar than the Fed has, yeah. or the U.S. Treasury. This is this is the reality of the situation, Jay. Yeah. Not, you know, you know, we, uh, you know, the world needs reserve dollars. Oh, and that's another thing. This whole idea of um, fiat currencies and you know, with with um, uh, uh, official reserves and all the rest of it, that's out of the window. That's yesterday's story. Yeah. Central banks in future will not have currency reserves. There's no point. I mean, yeah. a little bit for liquidity purposes, but the idea that you know, coordinated interventions um, in order to uh, support your currency or whatever. That's dead. That's that's gone. And this is another thing which I think very few people realize. No, it's a, it's a, it, it, no there's no talk of that here. And that's uh, to your point that the, the real war is, a, a you know, is, is not the war on the battlefield as as awful as that is and as unfortunate as that is. The real war is a financial war. It's a financial market, say an economic war. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, Jim Rickards and a few people here and there, you, you named one a little bit ago, uh, you know, intelligence people, uh, Pepe, I think um, that you mentioned, a few understand it, but most don't. And certainly the commentary doesn't even get close to it. Even the more conservative uh, news networks here don't seem to have a clue about it because we've all been really uh, educated not to think in terms of what money really is. And as you pointed out, uh, only gold is money. Everything else is uh, is a liability, is debt. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was you, maybe it was J.P. Morgan. I don't know if I give you credit for it, Alistair, if it was J.P. Morgan, but <laughs> somebody brilliant. And I thought about that and I said, wait a minute, I'm using all kinds of things other than gold for money. Uh, how can you say that? But then when you think about it, maybe you can make a case for silver. They're both assets, asset-based money. Uh, everything else is credit. So I want to thank you so much, Alistair, for uh, for putting up with me and, and talking to me, all, to our to our viewers all this time. Uh, especially thank you because of today's, uh, I know what it's like when you have a cold and you have to talk. It's not fun, but you really uh, were a trooper. You put up with it. So thank you so much for being with us again, Alistair. Well, that's very kind of you, Jay, and thank you very much for asking me. Well, thank you. Well, that is uh, all, all for this segment. Uh, that's all the time we have for this segment. Um, If you've enjoyed this video, make sure that you hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. Don't go away now because you and Downing will be with me in just a couple of moments. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have you and Downing. He's the CEO of I-80 Gold Corp with me today. Ewan has been a very successful mining entrepreneur and has won a lot of awards in Canada for his achievements over the years. Well, you just heard from Alistair McLeod. He explained why the days of dollar hegemony appear to be nearing an end. If Alistair's thesis is correct, then gold and gold shares, at least those of efficient gold miners, should do very well in the years to come. I-80 Gold Corp. is a relatively new name in the gold space, but it is a company that I believe you will soon become, you're going to hear a lot about them. They'll become a household name in my view. I-80 already holds the second largest gold resource in Nevada behind Barrick and, uh, Barrick and Newmont joint venture, uh, Nevada Gold. Uh, as a disclaimer, I should tell you that I-80 is a recommendation in my newsletter. It is personally my largest holding at this point in time, at least, and it is a sponsor for today's show for that. We're very glad uh, to tell you that Ewan is with us. Uh, before I say hello to Ewan, I should probably tell you, I-80 trades uh, in the United States and uh, in Canada. Uh, 246 million shares, a little, been trading around $2.60, $2.70, somewhere in that range in U.S. money, uh, giving it a market cap of around $650 million. Ewan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Jay. Yeah, the last time we talked, um, on turning hard times into good times, you were the president and CEO of Premier Gold Mines, which has metamorphosed into I-80 Gold Corp. Can you share with our listeners and our, our viewers uh, the story of Premier and uh, evolving into I-80? Yeah, Premier uh, Premier was a um, a gold-focused company that had uh, projects and mines in Canada, the United States, in Nevada, and in Mexico, and. Our largest project in the portfolio premier was the Greenstone uh, mine property. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, premier was acquired by Equinox Gold. Uh, their, the key asset that they were seeking to acquire was the, the Greenstone asset that is currently in construction. And that is a deposit that um, essentially was a discovery of ours at premier. Mm-hmm. We drilled out a large open pit, uh, similar to sort of an Cisco type uh, open pit. And it is now in construction and will be in production next year. But as part of that takeover, we spun out the Nevada assets to create I-80 Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I-80, since we, since inception, uh, less than two years ago, we have made numerous key acquisitions that, as you said, make us the largest holder of gold and silver resources in the Carlin and Battle Mountain trends next to Nevada gold mines. And our growth trajectory over the next several years, we expect to soon become the second largest producer of uh, precious metals in the state. The second largest producer. And you are, as I say, the second largest, I think, resource right now 
in the state. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that resource? How many ounces of gold and other metals might you have at this stage? Is approximately six and a half million ounces in indicated category and over eight million ounces in FERDs for a total of over 14 and a half million ounces of gold. Mm-hmm. And that is spread out across three different projects. We are four different projects. We are currently upgrading two additional deposit to deposits to resource. So we've uh, had uh, in 2022, we had a very significant expiration campaign at numerous projects, had numerous successes, and we are expecting to add to our gold and silver endowment in the coming year as we release new uh, resource estimates. We uh, we also uh, have started production at our Granite Creek operations. So we have a small scale production this year, gearing up to be much larger production in 24, 25, and then 26 as we build out our multiple assets. We're we're also quite blessed to have significant infrastructure in the state. We have two pro existing processing facilities that make the transition from explorer to developer and producer much more realistic since we don't have to permit. And as you know, permitting new mining and tailings facility is one of the biggest challenges for operations. So we're, we're, uh, we're quite, quite blessed with infrastructure and resources. Right. So the, the names that I'm familiar with as I watch uh, what you're doing there, Ruby Hill, which is, I guess I consider it seems to me that the flagship of your company, extremely exciting. It's not only gold, uh, gold and silver, but you, you also have a carbonate replacement discovery that is really an exciting story of, I guess it's silver, lead, and zinc there probably at Ruby Hill. Yeah, yeah, it's primarily uh, lead, zinc, silver, but we we are getting up to 60 grams gold with those oh. intercepts too. So we're getting <laughs> extremely high grade gold mineralization, and we are uh, the the gold deposit we have there is a ruby deeps, and that was the the focus of our early exploration at mm-hmm. Ruby Hill was defining the Ruby Deeps deposit for underground development. We've submitted our permits to go underground. We expect to start the development of the underground workings here later this year. Um, but after we delineated what we feel is a mineable uh, resource at the Ruby Deeps deposit, we embarked on exploration. And the thing about the Ruby Hill District or the Eureka District, as it's called, is the history in mining for the first hundred years of production in this district was all CRD. Mm. Uh, 102 years. It was 1864 to 1966. And after 1966, the district went more or less dormant until Homestake and Barrett came along looking for Carlin type deposits. But mm. And they essentially ignored the CRD opportunity. But the historic CRD mines that mined here are amongst, if not the highest grade CRD uh, deposits of this type that you'll find anywhere in the world. Hmm. And in the second half of last year, we started looking at the CRD targets as a, as an expiration focus for the second half of the year. And our first three targets were resulted in new discoveries. Uh, we're drilling those deposits or what we think are to, are becoming deposits out as we speak. Um, our expiration was supposed to slow down quite a bit in 2023, but at Ruby Hill, uh, but instead we've ramped up to have six drills active and we have a few exciting new targets that we'll be testing early in this year's program that we are, uh, we feel have a good opportunity to be at other CRD deposits. So we're, we're, we're having a lot of success. The upper hilltop zone that we discovered, in my opinion, is probably the highest grade deposit, uh, in the, uh, metal space that was discovered anywhere in the world in 2022. So we're we're pretty happy about what we're doing there. Um, we keep stepping out. We're testing new targets. And we think uh, this year is going to be a, a huge year for our company, um, primarily on this polymetallic mineralization that includes lead and zinc. So it, it, it also gives our company significant diversification in metals. Yeah, it sure does. And uh, you, well, it, that's, that kind of makes sense because uh, I think Nevada was known as the silver state. That may even be its model. And that came from those carbonate replacement uh, deposits, CRDs, as you call them, for the sake of people who may not be familiar with the nomenclature. You heard Ewan talk about CRD deposits. That's what he's talking about at Ruby Hill. That is the hilltop zone. And uh, very exciting. And I think you mentioned before we started recording today that um, 
that zinc is now a metal of interest, a special interest to the United States government. It's considered a critical metal. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah. In uh, late 2021, the uh, U.S. Geological Survey added two new metals to their critical minerals list. And those two metals were nickel and zinc, not copper. Mm-hmm. As, you, as, as you know, there's quite a bit of copper production in coming out of um, Arizona. So I would say that there's, there's quite a bit of copper mining taking place in the United States. But over the last couple of decades, we've seen no new zinc mines put in production in the United States. Hmm. And in fact, multiple zinc mines have shut down, including one last year that tech operated in Washington. So um, zinc is, I, I think, becoming... Uh, more important to the U.S. as a metal because they, there, there isn't much at home production right now in terms of the metal. Mm-hmm. And with the, um, political issues we're, we're seeing, so to speak, with Russia and China and some of the challenges they're having, I believe that the, um, make your metals, make your product at home is going to be more and more a focus for the United States going forward. And, we just happen to have made what we think is one of the most significant um, zinc uh, dep- or discoveries that includes mm-hmm. zinc made uh, since the Arizona mining discovery, the Taylor deposit in Arizona. So, um, so we're quite excited that by the fact that we, we have a sig- what appears to be a very significant zinc deposit we're drilling out right beside one of the highest grade undeveloped gold deposits in the United States. Uh, is there some sense of, of when you might be able to get some production from Ruby Hill? We expect to uh, see some production from the gold side because mm-hmm. we have a processing arrangement with Nevada Gold Mines while we start our facilities. So it allows us to start mining uh, sooner than we would if we were waiting to get our facilities running. And I would expect in 2024 in the 426 zone, which is one of the gold zones, we will get uh, start to get into some of the ore production there, and that will be gold production in this initially. But in 2024, we also intend to drive our underground infrastructure over to the Blackjack deposit. Mm-hmm. That's the largest of our known base metal uh, projects or polymetallic projects to date. And we expect to do an underground drill program to define that uh, for development. So it's quite possible if... Um, if the permitting lines up that we could move into uh polymetallic production in 25 or 26. Oh. And in addition to being a gold producer. Can you give us some sense of the economics uh, that I don't know how much of this you can talk about yet. And I, I think, cause I think you're probably doing some feasibility work uh, on, uh, you know, on this project as well as others, but can you give us a sense of what, you know, you're, you're talking about some incredibly high grades. I know the, Ruby Deep was really phenomenal. Those grades, those intercepts were very exciting. But can you give us some sort of a sense of what what the economics might look look like, um, starting with the gold project? Uh, yeah, the the gold projects, the three deposits we're developing are Cove, Granite Creek, right. and Ruby Deeps at Ruby Hill. Uh, Granite Creek average grade is is over ten grams per ton. The Cove project is uh, almost eleven grams per ton. Um, those are both in development with some mining just starting at Granite Creek. So those projects are both underground. We're preparing those for long-term mining. And then Ruby Hill, we expect the grade to be somewhat lower, probably in the seven to eight gram range, but the widths are significantly bigger. So the mining cost should be less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going through, we've released two preliminary economic assessments that demonstrate very strong returns for the Cove and Granite Creek projects. We're working on one as we speak for the gold side of Ruby Hill. And the drilling we're doing right now is bringing the polymetallic or the zinc lead gold silver deposits to 43101 resource so that we can start working towards an economic study that we can actually publish uh, for that project, hopefully as early as sometime uh, in 2024. Mm-hmm. And as we're developing our projects, we'll be really looking at, um, because we have the two processing plants, one that we expect will process base metals. That's the plant at Ruby Hill. We long-term, we want to convert that to a flotation plant that produces a lead and a zinc concentrate. And all of the gold mineralization will be trucked to Lone Tree from the three sites to our central processing autoclave. We're one of the only 
we're one of three companies in all of the United States that has a facility like this for processing mm-hmm. refractory ore. Um, so we need to get all three underground mines operating in order to fill that autoclave. And uh, the, the base metal side, I, I just say in terms of economics, if you look at the grades that we're drilling in the upper hilltop, they are on a dollar equivalent multiples of any of our gold deposits. So I'm expecting that once we do publish the economics, it'll be a real eye opener. It's really exciting. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, that facility that you have there at uh, the Lone Star facility, which is uh, you're sort of a hub and spokes model, business model, then I guess, isn't it, Ewan? Yeah, I'd say in, in some ways, if you look at how Nevada gold mines is, pr- is uh, in production, and, and for those who don't know, Nevada gold mines is the joint venture where Newmont and Barrick put right. all of their gold assets in Nevada together. And collectively, Nevada gold mines, if it were its own mining company, would be the fourth largest producer of gold in the world mm-hmm. annually. Mm-hmm. Only its two owners and Agnico Eagle produce more gold than Nevada gold mines. So it's, it's huge production, but they have a hub and spoke model at three different sites. So, mm-hmm. um, at Turquoise Ridge, they have a central processing facility fed by multiple deposits. At Cortez, they have a processing facility fed by, I think, four deposits. And then at, at Gold Strike and the Carlin trend, they have uh, two processing facilities fed by about 12 different operations. So it's, it, we're doing exactly what Nevada Gold Mines is doing with the Lone Tree Autoclave, but we're feeding it with three deposits. So we're doing it on a smaller scale than them. Mm-hmm. But, um, in saying that we, we also have the, the polymetallics and the processing facility at Ruby Hill. So that project would be, centrally located so the deposit that we be mine we expect to mine there is right beside the processing facility so it's um lone tree would be a hub and spoke for the gold operations but mm-hmm. we expect that uh, ruby hill is going to be just one deposit one mine yeah those sort of complex ores are, are fairly common um in in nevada do you see do you see any possibility of using that facility to process ores from other companies? Is that a toll milling or anything? Um, You're hoping not to probably. You want to yeah, our, our your own, own high-grade stuff through there, yeah. Yeah, our, our hope is that our three projects, um, we we can mine ultimately sufficient ore that we fill that facility for the long right. term. Um, but that said, if if we do find that there is capacity, for sure we would consider bringing in third-party ore or maybe even discussing with Nevada Gold Mines if they had some material that they needed to be processed, even working with them. So I think we're we're quite open to being uh, remaining friendly with Nevada Gold Mines in the state and um, obviously keep our options open as we build our company. But just looking at your uh, latest financials over the nine months ending um... – in, in the first nine months of 2022, you had an operating profit, even though you had a very small, I think 13,000 ounces or something like that, $7 million operating profit, but you showed a loss of, uh, I think, $41 million or something. But you included there, because you uh, Canadians, I guess, uh, include their exploration expenses of something like $32 million And, well, general administrative costs, of course, come out of it, but... Um, do, you, do you see a time? I mean, when do you think you might be able to see a, a positive number on the bottom line? Do you have any any goal for that? Any idea what you might uh, what investors might look forward to? Twenty twenty three is a big development year for our company, so sure. we haven't started the underground development yet at Ruby Hill. So I'd expect twenty three to be smaller production, more development heavy. In twenty four. It is our goal to, to start mining both uh, uh, at well, start mining the some of the upper part of the gold deposit at Ruby Hill. Um, so that would make two of our underground mines doing smaller scale production in 24. And depending on um, the infrastructure buildouts on either the base metal or the gold side, I, I wouldn't really expect us to start uh, demonstrating any any types of uh, positive cash flow on the bottom line to probably at least 25 and mm-hmm. and possibly even into 26. But beyond that, we should have a good runway for uh, at least a couple of decades of very strong production. And uh, as I said, we we are we do intend over the next 
uh, three to four years to become the second largest gold producer in the United States, which is a pretty lofty goal, but we, we do have the resources to do it. Yeah. We have the infrastructure already in place. We have grid power. We've got water rights. We've got road access. Um, we've got all of the infrastructure there to do, to, to carry out our goal. Now it's just doing all the prudent, um, uh, economic work, uh, drill out the deposits properly, get the proper mining methods um, implied through uh, probably bulk sampling at each project, and then really moving forward with our growth and production. Uh, but in the meantime, we do expect to have some very significant uh, uh, expiration results. This is going to be our biggest year of pure expiration, so testing new targets in our company's young young life. Um, but um, we we are expecting that uh, the, some of those could yield some pretty significant additional discoveries, even though we uh, we think we've made some of the top discoveries anywhere in the world in the last 12 months. I think there's no doubt about that. Well, investors should realize that it's not for a company like yours, as you're building wealth in the ground, you're you're building up shareholder value. And that will be reflected in the price of the shares, which are now around two hundred two dollars and sixty cents or so two dollars in U.S. money. Um, it's, as I said, it's, it's my, personally, my largest holding at this stage. I have a lot of confidence. Ewan, Ewan has had, um, you've had a lot of success in the past. You have the operating people, the people that can put this mine, these mines into production. So I have a, a high level of confidence. Your balance sheet is pretty clean. I believe you're, you're pretty well off financially now. You have a good amount of cash on the balance sheet, Ewan. Yeah, at the end of Q3, we had a very strong balance sheet. At the end of Q4, pretty pretty decent balance sheet as well. But we do have a lot of development initiatives uh, under underway. So, you know, there is, um, I would expect over the next probably 18 months, you'll see uh, some financings done, be it debt, uh, be it additional prepays or streams or equity or converts. We're looking at all type of options, but the, the next uh, couple of years are pretty, Pretty development heavy and capital intensive, but um, I am one of the company's largest shareholders, so I'm very cognizant of share dilution. Uh, sort of have a goal in mind of how many shares we, we want to have out ultimately when we start producing, because we believe we'll uh, have created a company that will trade in a, with a market cap in the billions. And if we can do that with uh, somewhere around 300 million shares, uh, that would result in the share price being, in, in our opinion, close to $10. And mm-hmm. so I think that's our goal of how we want to finance our growth, uh, bring our projects to feasibility so that we could take on um, uh, debt financing or, or mm-hmm. put a revolver in place, et cetera, like all the big mining companies sure. have, mm-hmm. and just set ourselves up better financially to be a significant producer. You and your... Uh... I think you said you're one of the largest shareholders. You have some other large shareholders, corporate interest as well. I believe Equinox, perhaps. Yeah, Equinox, who acquired Premier, owns uh, about twenty, uh, between twenty and twenty-five percent now. Mm-hmm. Um, Orion Mine Finance, who has been a big source of the capital we have to date, they've been uh, and they were a big supporter of Premier prior to to us being taken over financially to build that business. Uh, they are, I believe, our second largest shareholder. And the large financing we did last year was entirely with Orion. And we are uh, continuing to discuss with Orion additional funding that we will require as we build out our company. And it's a relationship we've had for several years with the one of the biggest financiers of the mining business. And we, uh, we really uh, appreciate that relationship and we really work hard to incubate it. Well, that's good. There's another uh, company I suspect is probably buying your shares on the market. I don't know that for sure, but it's Crestcat, uh, Crestcat Capital Corp. I know that Quentin Henning, who I know very well, is extremely bullish on your CRD uh, deposit uh, and can't say enough good about it. And at least uh, when I see his uh, his videos that he uh, that he records with Crestcat, so I'm sure there's uh, where there's a great project, you won't have problems financing. Of course, we'd like to see you do it at higher levels. Uh, than the current level, that's for sure. But I do think it's a great time for people to um, to get into, or at least to take a look at your story. You and I want to thank you so much for spending time to uh, to inform people of I-80 Gold. It's a great story, and uh, we'll look to keep up with it in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thanks for having us on. And I think the timing's great because 2023, in my view, is going to see all-time highs in the gold price. So we're, we're quite excited by what this year has to bring for, for our company and for other gold companies as well. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I, I, there may be some other things in the world that aren't as uh, pleasant, but I think gold uh, probably will be the recipient of uh, of some of those other things that are going on that may not be the best, but it is what it is. And that's why those of us who own gold, it's not because we want to get rich owning gold, but we know the world is a place in which it's it's imperfect. And this is one of the best ways, I think, uh, financially to protect your interests going forward. Uh, well, folks, uh, that is uh, all the time that we have for this week. I want you to remember, uh, if you like this video, to uh, to hit the um, hit the like button and also sign up to subscribe to, uh, to this channel. Uh, next week, Michael Oliver will be with me once again. Uh, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.